The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Amen. heaven, we thank you that we may gather this day, this Lord's Day, to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come into your presence acknowledging that it is not an easy thing to stand in the presence of the living God. We do so only because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, sprinkling us clean with his precious blood, that we might be cleansed from our sins and made righteous in your sight only for his righteousness. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in this hour as we approach your throne of mercy, that we would do so by faith. We pray, Lord, that as we sing these praises to you this morning, as we hear your word proclaimed, as we read it together, Lord, we pray that you would quicken our minds and our hearts, and we ask humbly, Lord, in your presence, as your servants, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would have a sense of your presence with us, that it would lift up our droopy hearts. Lord, help us today where we are weak, where our faith is not lively, where we may be down. Lord, we pray that you would be with us. Empower us to worship you in a way that is pleasing in your sight. And may everything that we do be for your glory alone. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together now and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to look there. Because this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all of you who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus to clothe you, hear these words of assurance from the book of Second Corinthians, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ 
abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Amen. As we continue to worship, please take your hymnal and turn to number 669 as we sing together. Commit now all your griefs. I had that kind of perfect vision. I wish I could see that way. 
I could see through the trees and see through little valleys and uphills, and it would just be perfect if I could. But you can't. And you know, I think that's a really good lesson for us to think about life. That even though you might have 20-20 vision, even if you have to wear lenses in order for that to be achieved, we can't see through things. You can't see through walls. You can't see into people's hearts. You can't know what they're thinking. So it means you have to slow down and not make assumptions about them. It also means that you're not able to see 20 years ahead. How many of you can see the future? Those of you who have perfect vision. <laughs> we don't have any fortune tellers here, I'm certain. But we can't see the future, can we? We can make our best guess. The Bible says that the, the heart of man makes plans, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord knows the future. So even though I may be anxious about it and you might be worried about it, what's life going to be like this week? What's going to happen in 10 years? You have no reason to worry. You know why? You have no reason to worry because your Heavenly Father who loves you is caring for you, He is providing for you, and He is taking care of things that you have no idea, that you can't even see right now that you need. So because that's true, you should trust in Him wholly. We sing a hymn here. Those who find Him holy find Him ever true. And He is. He absolutely is worthy of your trust. So I want to encourage you, when you are fearful, when you wonder what's going to happen this year, what's going to happen next year, to stop and say, wait a minute, I don't have perfect vision. Even if I am worried, I can't know for sure what's going to happen. Only God knows. And my Heavenly Father promised to take care of me. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for our covenant children. I thank you for the blessing they are in our church family. That every Sunday morning we gather here and get a little more crowded. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we have to sit close to one another and be reminded of our, our need to love one another in the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for our covenant children that you would protect their minds and guard their hearts. That they wouldn't give in to fears and worries and anxieties about the future that they would know that you, our Heavenly Father, hold them in your hands. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would guide them in your truth, that as they read and study your Word, that they would hold it in their hearts, that you would remind them of your promises. And Lord, I pray when they are fearful, when they think about things that they can't see and don't know that are taking place, that you would cause them to rest their hope on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read together Psalm 148. And so I wanted to ask you to take your hymnal and turn to page 840. As we read together Psalm 148. I'll begin uh, with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, Son of the moon. Praise Him, all His shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Kings of the earth and all nations. You princes and all rulers on earth. Young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the He has raised up for His people a horn, the praise of all His saints, of Israel, the people close to His heart. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. Please take your bulletin. There should be an insert in there for uh, our next hymn. Let's stand together and sing, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. month during our pastoral prayer time, we have been praying for uh, Joel Brown on the campus of South Carolina State, uh, one of our missionaries. We've also been praying for our own uh, teachers and students as they started back to school. And so today I'd like to pray for our teachers, pray for um, our ministry through Joel Brown on the campus of South Carolina State, and also did want to pray for God's people in Hawaii. Uh, through the horrific tragedies that have taken place there. Uh, I read this week that uh, M&A Disaster Relief is already mobilizing to help people there and to assist the churches as they look to have to rebuild and help communities. So let's go before uh, the Lord's throne in prayer. Our Father, as we lift up our our hearts to you in prayer now, we pray that you would help us to come into your presence aright, that we wouldn't think too lightly of being able to pray to the God of the universe, that the one who hung the stars and set the planets in motion, who makes grass grow, who makes our plants live, who created everything that we can see, that it is you, God, that we pray to. Father, I pray that this would encourage our hearts, that this would cause us to be lighter in our steps, that the burdens we carry with us are lighter because of your care over us, that you are the one who carries us even in the midst of deep, dark valleys. You carry us in the midst of every day that we walk through. And Lord, I pray for your people. I lift up our church family here, everyone who is here this morning and even those who We're not able to come. That we, Lord, in our homes, in our places of work, at school, that we would have a sense of your mighty presence with us. The Lord Jesus came and bled and died and resurrected over the grave that we might know that you, Lord, never leave us. I pray that that would be true in our lives, even today and throughout this week. And Lord, I pray that for, especially for our teachers this year. That as they go into classrooms or maybe homeschooling moms who step into the kitchen or the living room or the dining room. 
As instruction begins, Lord, I pray that you would bolster our teachers to know that you have equipped them for the work that they're doing. That you are causing them to be a light for your sake to young minds and to children and to their peers, to other teachers and administrators. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to know that you are the one who equips them to do the work that you have called them to. Lord, we thank you for them, for their sacrifice, for their willingly giving up their own time to serve our families. Lord, I pray also for Joel Brown today. I pray for his ministry this year on the campus at South Carolina State. And over the last two weeks, Lord, we have prayed a specific prayer for Joel. Not only that you would hold him up spiritually, but Lord, I again pray, asking you, the God of heaven, that you would grant that as the gospel goes forth, as he speaks the words of life and shares the scriptures with people, that by your spirit, Lord, you would cause lost souls to be converted. That you would take them out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your marvelous light. That there would be rejoicing on that campus and in the dorm rooms and in college classes and in meeting rooms. That the RUF small groups and large groups would continue to grow, that praises would be lifted to you. Lord, I pray as as uh, spoke with Joel this past week that he's looking for a place for their large group to meet. I pray, Lord, that you would open that door for him that it would be possible for them to meet, that it would be spacious, that it would meet their needs, that they would be able to worship, that they would be able to share life with one another. And Lord, I also pray for folks in Hawaii who have gone through significant tragedy, people who lost their homes and their possessions. And Lord, I pray that you would bless workers through M&A Disaster Relief as they are there to help is they're there to help respond to the tragedy there. Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness to share the gospel where they are. Yes, Lord, I pray that you would help them to help community members and families put their, their homes and their lives back together. But Lord, we pray that you would help them to share the gospel in a bold way. That people would hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just see that people care about their physical needs, but also that there are those coming to help who care about their souls and where they will spend eternity. We pray, Lord, that you would work on their behalf. And Lord, we also pray for our church family here. I pray for each of us, Lord, our spiritual condition before you. That as we are here to worship you today, and this according to your providence, it is not a mistake that any of us are here. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in this day, as we're about to open your word, that you would, by your spirit, communicate it to our hearts. That just as we read this morning in Sunday school in the Gospel of John, blessed are those not who know the Word of God, but those who do it. We pray, Lord, that you would make us doers of your Word. Help us not to walk away and close our Bibles and be unchanged after being in your presence. We pray, be merciful, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Psalms, chapter 37. Psalm 37. We're going to read this morning verses 1 through 7. The sermon is entitled, Rest in the Lord. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. 
This morning the sermon is entitled, Rest in the Lord. We're continuing and concluding our series, Being Still in the Busy, over the next three weeks with a brief study in Psalm 37. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 7, to rest in the Lord. It's a command from David. The next time we are together on September the 3rd, uh, we will be looking at verse 4 that specifically says, delight yourself in the Lord. And then the next Sunday we will be looking at the end of this psalm in verse 34 where it says, wait on the Lord. So I want to encourage you, maybe take some time over these next few weeks and just read through this psalm. Familiarize yourself with it. As we think about wrapping up this summer series, I pray that it's been a blessing to your heart and at least caused you to pause and to say, no, Lord, there's probably not going to be a time in life where everything is just going to slow down. But I pray, Lord, that you would be my sufficiency, even in the difficult and the fast and the hectic times, that I would be in your presence and believe by faith that you, Heavenly Father, meet me right where I am. Those are promises from his word that he will do it. David divides all of mankind in these verses 1 through 7. He divides all of mankind into two groups. He talks about the righteous who love and worship God and delight to be in his presence, who surrender their lives to him, who are working at their own hearts, putting sin to death. That's one group. And then there's another group of mankind. And you only fit into one of these. There's not a third option. The second option is the wicked. And those who don't do those things. They don't surrender their heart to the Lord. They see themselves as king. They follow their own hearts. They do whatever their their hands find to do. There's nothing that's out of bounds. There's nothing that they should withhold from themselves. No pleasure that they should keep back. They are called the wicked. Because they don't look to God. They don't seek to trust Him. And so they're called evildoers too. Because there's nothing that's out of bounds for them. But in dividing all of mankind into these two groups, there's a bit of unsettledness to it. And you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we might even say, as we think about those two groups and read these verses, we might say, you know, I believe I fit into the first one. And so now I can take a breath and sit back and I'll listen to what you have to say, preacher. But I think I'm secure. But there should be a bit of unsettledness in your heart as you think about these two groups. Because he's not saying this so that we can dignify hatred of other people. Well, if you were part of the godly, I could love you. But because you're not, I'm okay to hate you. Or maybe indifference. That because you don't go to church where I go or you don't believe the Bible, then I can basically be indifferent about you. I don't need to worry about you and your life and what's happening for you. Or maybe we don't really fit along the same political or social lines. So I'm not going to cross over into your lane as long as you don't cross over into mine. And some of us believe that's the way we can live in our relationship with God. I don't bother him and he won't bother me. We're good. And yet that's not true. Actually, reading in these verses, thinking about these two groups and what David is saying, he's saying this to set our perspective aright. I mentioned during the children's sermon that it's almost hunting season. And for many of you, this is a time of excitement and anticipation. You're getting your rifle out or your bow, and one of the first things you have to do, you've got to examine that weapon. And the second thing you've got to do is get your sights right. Because if your sights aren't right, you're not going to hit your target. And that's actually, I think, a good, maybe a a good analogy for what David is saying here. Vertically, each of us has a relationship with God. Whether we are the righteous or the wicked, we have a relationship with Him. You do need to have your sights set aright. Your perspective needs to be changed. As you read the Word of God, it should touch your heart in such a way that there are things about the way that you think about God, the way you think about yourself, and about others that needs to change. And one of the things is the way that you think about God. You are created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And you don't do that by default. You don't do that by praying a prayer. You don't do that by showing up on Sunday morning. 
By God's grace alone, we walked into His presence together this morning. And by His Spirit, we worship in a pleasing way. We offer up sacrifices of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. We open His Word and ask, Lord, speak to us. We need to be set aright by Your Word. Help us, Lord, where we are broken. But also there's a horizontal relationship a horizontal perspective that has to change according to the Word of God. The Bible says, Jesus said, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And one of the first commands in this passage is, do not be envious of others. Do not be hating other people. And yet, isn't it so easy? Isn't it so easy to do those things? And you think for just a moment, well, what envious and and hating of others. No one would see that. That doesn't hurt anybody. You're not going to be able to walk around and see the effects of that on the outside of somebody. And you're not even going to be able to see when I'm harboring that inside of myself. Except for maybe how I live. Maybe the way I talk. So each day, we all need a total system recalibration. Not just slight changes. Not just a tweak here or there. We are totally wrecked from the inside out, we need to be changed. All of our instruments are misaligned. And actually, it's much worse than just being misaligned. They're also turned inward on ourselves. And the things that occupy our minds, if we are not setting our heart on the Word of God, committing our ways to Him and trusting Him and looking to Him to provide, these are the ways that we think about ourselves and about this world. We think about what's fair. I need to be treated fairly. Things need to be right for me in order to be happy in this world. Or we think about our rights, what we're due, and what absolutely must be given to us because of who I am and what I've been through and what people need to recognize and need to understand about me. And also, as our hearts are turned inward on themselves, We are very quick to protect and look for the things that we are missing out on. And if it seems that someone else has it, we are quick to say, I need to get mine. It's important that I have mine. It's my right. It's my due. Things need to be fair. And no wonder, because of this, and this is something that touches everyone, no wonder we see the rawness of sinful flesh on display in this world every day. Because as a society, we have said we are more important than God. And we've actually dismissed Him as a society, as irrelevant. We've shown Him the door. And so at any turn, if someone feels, and I'm using that word on purpose, if someone feels that they've been slighted, not given the respect that they're due, that they expect to get, or if they're given less than what they believe they deserve, they go off. It's not simply a matter of, hey, wait a minute. It's absolutely lose your top, go crazy. Because we have decided that we are the measure of all things. And so if I'm not getting what I do, then the world needs to stop. Isn't that true? Don't we believe that? And if we are not reading God's word, that's where we live every day. And so we are on edge all the time because we have to protect it. It's our identity after all. And if somebody's going to come into my lane, I can't be at peace. I've got to be at war. And yet the Bible says we're not at war with each other. The enemy is not in here. The enemy is not in the other aisle or sitting shoulder to shoulder with you. The enemy is the roaring lion prowling around, seeking to devour you. David says that we're not to live that way. That it's not supposed to be this way for you and I as believers. He says your security in who you are and what you are due is determined by the fixed providences of Almighty God. So you, dear believer, are free. You are free. From those things that you say in your heart, I've got to have this. I'm owed it. It's my right. 
And I want you to pause for just a moment and think about how significant it is and weighty that we spend our days envying one another or jealous. What's the danger? And David is serious here. He's, he's repeated it twice in this passage. Why is it so serious? What's the danger with being envious of others? With fretting about life and what I don't have. And in fact, being upset because my neighbor has what I want. It's a universal threat to your joy and your concern for other people. That's what it is. Envy that is unmastered in your heart and not brought into subjection by the power of the Holy Spirit is eternally dangerous. It's listed among the works of the flesh that Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 26, actually disqualifies souls from the kingdom of God. If you give rein to this unbelieving state of envy, it could so take over your life to cause you to make shipwreck of your faith. And do you end in the end? But we don't believe that. We believe that we can hold on to these things. We can harbor them in our hearts. We can live with sin. But the Bible says, can a man or a woman take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Can you live with sin and just let it stay resident and it not touch you to your core? We absolutely are self-deceived if we believe we can. So let me ask you. Can you rest? Are you resting? Are you content with what the Lord has given you? Or are you looking for something else? And do you actually begin in your heart to hate other people who have it? Are you envious of them? Do you fret about this life? About things? About your health? About finances? About your relationships? So as we look at this passage this morning, there are three, I believe, there are multiple, but there are at least three very good directives that David gives us in the face of envy and fretting, in the face of the frenzied activity of this world, the clamoring after things and possessions, and looking good and the facade of looking like people who have it together. David says three things. He says, look up, look ahead, and be constructive. So number one, look ahead. Look ahead. This is why I spoke with our children this morning about do any of you have perfect vision? Because I want you also to think about your sight in this world. David says, look ahead. Some things look permanent now, but they won't make it into eternity. What are some of those things? The temporary pleasures of this world, absolutely. The endless pursuit that you see around you every day for self-indulgence, that's going to fade away. The endless pursuit of trying to salve and comfort my own heart with everything that the world has to offer, that is passing away. David also says here as he begins this command, do not envy, do not fret. He says in verse 2 that the wicked themselves will fade away. And this isn't an idea. This isn't a, a group that's indiscriminate that no one can know. These are faces of actual people that you know. And maybe even some of them your friends or your family members. He says the wicked will pass away. They will be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In verse 9 he says for evildoers shall be Cut off. And then in verse 10, for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. There are things in this world that right now look permanent. They look fixed. They look like nothing could change them. And people that you know that it seems like their joy and their happiness, it seems untouchable. And yet, for those who do not know the Lord, this world is and their pleasures here is the best it's going to get for them. What is awaiting the wicked is awful and terrible and horrible. It is enduring the wrath of God for all eternity because of sins. If they are enjoying pleasures now, you should remember with perspective, look ahead. That's the best it's going to be for them. And for you, dear believer, are you suffering? Are you struggling? Are you discouraged? Is your family a wreck? 
Are your finances out of control? Is your heart running? And every day it takes everything that you have not to live in anxiety and fear and worry. Dear believer, I want to encourage you that if you walk through those deep, dark valleys in this life, that that's the worst the enemy can do to you. That's the worst. Because your soul is secure in heaven. Jesus won that security. He purchased it for you. That's why David says, don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of others. There are times when God's covenant promises, we talk about those a lot here at Lebanon, and especially each Sunday. There are times when God's covenant promises, we just hold on to them loosely, the best that we can. It seems that we can't grasp them because they appear out of reach, or we see them, but it's unclear. What does this mean? How does this look? I want to ask you, what are covenant promises? What are they? What are promises that God Almighty makes to his children. They are a pledge from God. For his sufficient sustaining grace. For you today. And hope for all of your tomorrows. That's what God's promises are to you. They are made according to his covenant. Where he swears to his own hurt. He will take care of you as his child. He says look ahead here. Number one. Look ahead. The last thing I believe he says about this is to remember something about the righteous themselves. The righteous, those who, whom God has changed their heart, taken out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. What is true about them? It is true that they will endure to the end. That your present sufferings in this life, and I know, dear friends, that some of you suffer greatly. That you walked in those doors today, not because you are full of strength, not because you didn't have trials to get here. But some of you came in weak and frail. And you are wondering, will my suffering be redeemed? It will. It will. You one day, dear believer, will behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Face to face, we shall behold Him. Set your heart on that. There are things in this world that seem like they are permanent and they will change and fade away. And there are things that you only see very dimly now and they will be bright and magnificent in the face of your Savior. Look ahead. Don't just look here. The temporal pleasures of the wicked is the best they're going to get. And the temporal trials and sufferings and disappointments and personal desertions that you, the godly, experience and endure here by faith are the worst it will ever be. Speaking about vision and sight, I want to read some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though we have maybe every reason to, because of the world that we live in and what we see. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look to the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How are you investing your life, dear friends? Are you investing only in what can be seen by other people that, that glitter and shine and twinkle in their eyes? Or are you investing in your soul in things that cannot be seen right now, but are seen through the eyes of faith? So that's number one. Look ahead. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look ahead. Number two, he says, look up. Look up. Not at me, David says. Look to the God in heaven. He gives a command, but I believe it would be easy for us to say, okay, give me the command. I, I want to hear this. I'm a doer. I'm a type A. Give me a list. I'll get it done. I'll check it off. I'll even do it twice, so make sure it got done. But there's something in our hearts about commands that I think it goes and sinks deep in our hearts that we believe once we've done the command, we're done. And yet, 
David invites you into the presence of the living God. He says, do the command, but don't miss the reason for the command. Go straight on into delight in your Lord. King David, this is how he's saying, this is my armory. This is what is filling my quiver in the fight against sin. I am fighting the inner urge to give in to envy and fret by delighting in the Lord himself. I hope that each of us this week and even in these moments can beware of the legalism that could arise in your heart when you are able to resist. Maybe when it comes into your mind and you think about something that someone has that you really want. And man, I wish I had that. And then it it comes in. Green envy. That horrible feeling. And then you begin to hate that person because they have it. And you would say, wait a minute, I shouldn't do that. And it would be legalism in your heart to say, okay, I obeyed the command. I did it. It would be legalism to say, it didn't touch me. It didn't get on me. I won that time. Don't come up short, dear believer. Don't say, I followed the command, Jesus. I did what you told me to do. But press on to enjoyment in Jesus. What you should see is that every time you resist the opportunity to grumble or to complain or to be envious or fret about this life, It is a reminder of the evidence of God's transforming grace in your life. Do you believe honestly that you have the power to stop sinning on your own? We don't. We are powerless. We cannot do it. So anytime you see work in your life and you are able to not sin, you should fall on your knees and rejoice. God is working in my life. And he is. In 10,000 ways, in everything in your life, He is working in your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe He's working in your difficulty, in your trials? Is He working in your joys? Is He working in your successes? Is He at work in your life? He is. And I pray that you have the eyes to see it. That it would humble your heart. To say, there's no way I put this life together. There's no way I have the resources or the strengths to do it. There's no possible way that all these dots could be connected because I'm so smart. Or I'm so competent. Or I'm so strong. And there's no such thing as luck. It is all by God's providence that we live. We we go to bed each night and we get up each morning under the beautiful rays of God's providence every day. I pray that you see that in your life. David gives us four phrases to fight against and to mortify sin on a daily basis and to enjoy God. He's talking about a literal preoccupation in your mind and in your heart. To be totally preoccupied with who God is. He even uses the Lord's name in each of these. In verse 3 he says, trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Strive after faithfulness. Some translations say, feed on His faithfulness. And it is His faithfulness. But I'm concerned for my own heart and for yours that we would think that faithfulness is something out there that we can go grab, like the manna that the children of Israel got in the wilderness, that we could go grab if we wanted or leave it if we don't, and it's just out there. And when we finally come to our end, we can go and find that faithfulness again. It'll just be there waiting for us. But David is much more urgent than that. He says, you have to strive after it by all the means of God's appointment. Lord, help me not to see with the eyes of flesh. Help me to see with eyes of faith. In this that I'm going through right now, help me right now to see it and to believe that it's true. In verse 4, he says, take delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We're going to spend all of the next sermon on this on September the 3rd before we come to the Lord's table. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's it's the kind of delight that lives even in the midst of dark and terrible times. Like Paul and Silas in jail at night and they're in the shackles. And what were they doing? Were they grumbling and complaining? What were they doing? Somebody said it. I heard a little boy say it. They were singing. They were singing and praising God. You can't can't shackle people like that. 
You can't shackle people who can praise God in places where other people fear even to go. And they were saying, we are free whether we're in these chains or not. Dear brothers and sisters, there may be a day when that's required of you and me. When all of us good rule followers may have to take stock of what it means to name the name of Christ in this great nation that we live in. May he find us faithful and may he fill us with his spirit to do so without fear. Take delight in the Lord. In verse 5 he says, commit your ways to the Lord. And the Hebrew language there actually means to ro- like to roll your burdens off of yourself and roll them onto the Lord. Commit your ways to him all of your life, everything about you, as if you are entrusting a burden to God. And all of us have those. All of us have burdens. There are things that weigh us down. And you may have come in smiling this morning and hello and how are you and hugged a neck. But there are things that weigh on your soul, your health. Your career, am I making the right choices? Your relationships, am I investing in the right way in my children? Am I showing them what's important by bringing them to church? Am I investing the right way in my spouse? Am I loving them the way that I should? Am I showing them the Lord Jesus Christ and how I treat them? We all have burdens. In verse 6 he says, He... God will bring forth your righteousness as the light. He's saying, trust your reputation to the Lord. How many of you, when you feel for a moment that someone is questioning your motives, you automatically, number one and first, have to be heard. I've got to defend myself and my name. And yet what David is saying here is, even trust your reputation to the Lord. You don't have to speak. It takes everything in a person, maybe particularly for you men, it takes everything in a person not to speak up for his reputation, for his good name. And yet what David is saying here is that this is a literal, deliberate redirecting of my emotions. Do you understand that about yourself? That your emotions belong to you, that they are, they are under your control. What he's saying here is, I am literally taking up the reins of my emotions. I am entrusting them to the Lord. I will not be run ragged like a horse and carriage drawn away by wild horses. I will not be dragged around like that. I can't be. I am a child of the living God. And He has liberated me and made me free. He has set me free from those worries and those anxieties and fears. And living constantly to wonder what I have and don't have. And what other people have that I wish I did. And the ways that I wish I looked like other people and had it better together. Why is it that I seem to be the one who's always struggling? And why does it seem that those who are the wicked seem to always get by? They don't seem to ever have trouble. They don't seem to be the ones who are sick. They don't seem to be those who have to take care of relatives and do other things that I'm having to do. Why is it so hard for me, Lord? You tell me not to envy the wicked, but look at my life. This is what it means to live in freedom? Jesus says, yes. Philippians 2, look at my life. I was clothed as a servant. And I did that for you. While you were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for you. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God is to rule your heart, not your emotions. They are to be under the reign of the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. It means your heart can't flutter around everywhere and everything that it likes, it just gets to go after. No, sometimes you have to grab it in and pull it in here. That's what it means to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. There is still remaining sinfulness in you. But by God's grace, He filled you with His Spirit. Lastly, number three, be constructive. Number one, look ahead. Number two, look up. Number three, be constructive. It's both positive and negative. There are things to lay hold of and there are things to lay aside in the Christian life. 
In verse 3, he said, do good and dwell in the land. That's positive. We believe by God's providence that nothing happens by mistake. And so that means what David is saying here is, do good and dwell in the land where you are. God planted you right where you are. He meant to do it. It's not a mistake. You haven't been left. There wasn't a train that came that you missed your appointment to leave where you are and leave all these bad things behind. God planted you right where you are. Is there security in that, dear believer? Yes. Yes. We don't believe in faith. We don't believe in chance. And so what God is saying through David in these words is set down your roots of righteousness right where God has planted you. Stop fretting, believing you've got the wrong patch in this world. He gave you the land you are living in to live righteously right there with those people. Yes, those people. These people. God planted you right here. He's not mistaken. In verse 8, He says, Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. And do not fret. Why do you suppose He says that? Because we tend to do it. We can get angry at the drop of a hat. We can move on from that very quickly to wrath. And we do fret. And yet James chapter 1 verse 21, he says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says be constructive. Have gospel sight right now. So if you are properly seeing the Lord, And properly seeing yourself in His presence, in His world, that all of your life is under His control, I believe only then can you look outside and see people the right way. Other people. Otherwise, you're going to do all the things He said not to do. You're going to envy them. You're going to fret about life. You're going to to move to wrath. You will be a slave to your emotions and to whatever comes up in your life. You will respond to it. There will be no peace in your life. You will not be able to rest in the Lord. Apart from rest with Him. And you will not look at other people the right way. But if you do have gospel sight. And you are able to see who God is. And who you are in His presence. Then you will be able to rest in Him. And you will be able to see those that you were previously tempted to hate. As lost souls. Who desperately need the gospel. I believe this is the only fuel that sustains evangelism. Knowing who God is and knowing who I am and knowing what's coming for those who belong to Him and those who don't belong to Him. Apart from those things, we don't know the truth. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear me, and He doesn't just mean those in my hearing. He means those who hear with the intent to do. Love your enemies and do good to those who curse you. Are you free, dear believer? Are you free? Are you resting in the Lord today? Are you free to see the people who maybe your heart would envy to hate as people that desperately need the gospel? Does it touch your heart that there are people who are dying and going to hell every day? People that God has placed in your path right where He set your roots down that you should be sharing the gospel with. And I don't say that for a sense of guilt. I say it that you would take stock of your own heart and say, Lord, help me to number my days. Help me to live in your presence the way that I should and that I would go and share the gospel as you told me to. It's one of your commands. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for David writing these specific words in Psalm 37. I know and confess, Lord, that I need them. I need to be reminded I am a fretful person apart from your grace. I'm envious apart from your work in my life. And I know that my brothers and sisters believe and confess that with me. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. That we would waste any time that you have given us of the days that you have numbered for us on this earth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see with eyes of faith and not with the eyes that the world has. That just as your word says in 1 John that this world and the lusts of it are passing away. Lord, help us to believe that. 
and help us to be storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 679, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Thank you. 
Thank you, Callum. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would accept these offerings of worship in music and in song and now in tithes and offerings in money given to you for the sake of you spreading the name of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the world. Lord, we confess that you don't need our money. You need nothing from us. This is an act of obedience and worship that you have given us to train our hearts to not trust in the riches of this world. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that our hands might be loose of the love of the things of this world, that we might devote ourselves entirely to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen. Amen.